If you have a Bible this morning, would you open up to Genesis chapter 25? Genesis chapter 25. And if you're physically able, and you remember, you know, eight years ago when I used to teach here a lot, uh, would you stand with me as we just give honor to God's word as I read it to you? Genesis 25, verse 19. Only if you're physically able, but if you don't mind, would you stand with me as we read a portion of God's word? Genesis 25, verse 19. It says, this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. That is a problem. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. And afterwards his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew. Look at this part. And Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the same red stew for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and a stew of lentils. And he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Father, as we take some time today... To consider your word, I pray that worship would continue, not as we sing songs, but as we engage our minds in the study of your word. God, may you speak into our lives and change us with your presence. And we pray that together in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We're looking here. Jacob and Esau, and I know it's not what Pastor Rob is currently teaching through and some guest speaker shows up and just drops you in the middle of the book of Genesis and it can be kind of confusing at times. And so just just a little bit of context this morning. As all of you know, you're a well-taught congregation. I know that because I was part of this well-taught congregation taught by your pastor. So, so the reality is I know the Bible studies you get. And so I know you know that Genesis 
Genesis is really the book of beginnings. In fact, that word Genesis means beginnings. And really because so much in our world had its beginning in the book of Genesis. And God is forming nations in the book of Genesis. And specifically, he's forming the Jewish nation. And the reason the Bible is focusing on telling us the story of the beginning of the Jewish nation is because the hero of the Bible is who, friends? Jesus. It's Jesus. The answer is always Jesus, right? Jesus. And Jesus in his earthly body was a Jew. So Genesis is telling us his story through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac. And the third patriarch is this man by the name of Jacob. And here in Genesis 25, we have the, the, the birth story of Jacob. It starts with his mom and dad, Isaac and Rebekah. Rebekah's barren. And unlike what his grandpa, uh, you know, not Isaac's grandpa, but Jacob's grandpa, Abraham, what he did, kind of trying to help God by ha- hanging out with Hagar, and we all know that story, Isaac prays, God, open up the womb of my wife. And God opens up her womb. And then she realizes there's problems in this pregnancy. (laughs) There's something wrong. So she goes to the Lord and the Lord says, what's wrong is you got two nations inside your womb. That sounds like a problem, two nations. But most of you know all that God was saying is that she had two two boys who were going to turn into two nations. And these boys were warring even in the womb. And when they are born, they couldn't be more different. They couldn't be more different. As we see these two boys, if you're taking notes this morning, what I want you to see is we're going to see these boys of Isaac. We're going to see the birthright and what that means. Then we're going to see the bowl of beans. And then finally, we're going to see this Bebelos person and what that is. And so we start with these boys of Isaac. And as I said, they could not be more different. When Esau was born, the Bible says he comes out all furry and red. In fact, I've done some research for you. I have found an ancient picture in the Dead Sea Scrolls of Isaac when he was born. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. It's not an ancient picture of of Esau, but it could be because he's all furry and all red. I mean, you guys that know the story in chapter 27, when Jacob's trying to fool his blind dad into thinking that he's his brother Esau, he's got a glue goat hair all over himself. How furry do you have to be for your brother to have to glue goat hair all over you to pretend that he's you? These guys were different. They were different in how they looked and they were different in what their priorities were. And we see that as Genesis 25 talks about this birthright. The birthright, the story is Esau's out in a field. Jacob is making this stew. And when he comes in, Esau is so hungry. And he says, give me some of that stew. And Jacob says, if you'll sell me your birthright, I will give you the stew. Now, again, we're looking at this 4,000 years later. What in the world is going on there? In these ancient times, if you were the firstborn child, the firstborn male child, you had the birthright of the family. And what that entailed, number one, was a double portion of the inheritance. So in Jacob and Esau's place, if 
dad, you know, died, his, all that he owned would be divided into three. You would get two thirds as the one with the birthright and the other son would get a third. And no matter how many kids you had, that was work. The, 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 the original one with the birthright got a double blessing. But with that blessing, you had to take care of your younger siblings you had to provide for them, make sure they were okay. If you, had, if you had sisters, you had to provide for them until they got married. And if their husband was to ever die, you were responsible for the family financially and you were responsible for the family spiritually. You were to lead them in their relationship with God. You were to keep the family just spiritually centered. And what we know from just what the Bible tells us about Esau He wasn't interested in spiritual things at all. He didn't want a double portion of the inheritance. My dad's rich. If I live on a third of it, I can live off the land and I've got plenty of money for me. I don't want to take care of my little runt brother, Jacob, who's like two minutes younger than me. I don't want to take care of him. And I certainly don't want to be the spiritual leader of the family. And the reason Esau feels this way is Esau is just driven by his flesh. He's kind of like some of our dogs, right? Our dogs are kind of driven by their flesh. I didn't want a dog years and years ago. My little girl, Haley, who's now 21, when, when she was little, she says, dad, I want a dog. And I said to her, when you turn 10, you can have a dog thinking she would forget She was my first, so I didn't know how kids are. Well, three years later, on her 10th birthday, she says, happy birthday to me. Where's my dog? I was like, oh, you remember that, huh? Okay, all right. And I said, well, well, you know, dog is so much take care of. How about a cat? And I'll be honest with you. The reason I suggested a cat was not because I like cats. I do not like cats. The reason I suggested a cat is you know, living here, and we lived in Oceanside at the time, and lots of coyotes. I thought the cat would have a very short lifespan, and then I would get to teach my daughter about death and loss and trusting God. Like, this was literally in my, 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 my mind. And then we visited my, my, my aunt and uncle up in Reno, Nevada for Thanksgiving, and, and my, my cousin had this little Maltese poodle dog. And the whole way home from Reno, Nevada, my whole family ganged up on me. Dad, it's the size of a cat. And I couldn't tell them that's not why I was suggesting a cat. So we got back. We got a dog. I tried not to like this dog. But the first Saturday morning, I was there having my day off, making bacon in the, in the kitchen, And this little dog was just sitting next to me while I made bacon. And I looked down at her and I said, do you like bacon? And she doesn't speak English, but I could tell. She says, I love bacon. I've never had it before, but I know I love it. So I said, all right, okay. Took a little piece, gave that to the dog. We have been best friends ever since. Like the next day I came home from work and on a Sunday and the dog runs up, did circles and got so excited she just went to the bathroom all over that I was home. And I was like, finally, 
somebody feels about me like I feel about me. Like that excited. <laughs> Not that I want my wife and kids to go to the bathroom when I come home. I'm just, I'm just saying. Like, obviously, the dog, but this dog, this dog won't stop eating. So, so when we're eating, just, you know, wants a little bit of food and then eats it. And the thing's only this big. And, and then another one. I mean, last night, she probably had three pieces of pizza herself. But the problem is, though, she won't stop to the sense where sometimes she just walks away and just, and throws up and then walks right back over like, like she's still ready to go. And every time I see that, I go, that is so like the flesh, the flesh that just wants more and more and more and seemingly is never satisfied no matter how sick you get. That was Esau. He's off in the field. Now, Jewish history sources, we don't know whether this is true or not, not the Bible, but Jewish history says that Esau was with three women that morning, and one of them was engaged to be married to somebody else. That was his activities in the fields that day. He was just obsessed with the flesh. And so he comes in, he's hungry, and he says, give me that, that, that bowl of lentils. And, and, and Jacob, seeing the opportunity, says, if you sell me your birthright, if you let me be the one that gets the double inheritance, the one with the spiritual authority over the family, I will give you this bowl of beans. And that is exactly what Jacob does, or sorry, what Esau does. He sells his birthright for a bowl of beans, a bowl of lentils, a bowl of beans. Now, to me, this this is a hard-to-understand passage in the Bible. I don't know about you, but I have no problem with God parting the Red Sea, Jesus walking on water. Listen, if if Genesis 1-1 is true, and it is, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then he can do whatever he wants with the earth he created. Amen? He can part water. He can walk on water. He can heal people. He can create a fish to swallow Jonah. God can do whatever he wants. I got no problem with that parts of Scripture. What I don't understand is a man like Esau who's already all about the flesh, why doesn't he want double the money? Why doesn't he want that? Why can he? Well, again, because he can't be bothered to take care of his younger brother. He doesn't want it, so he's willing to trade it for a bowl of beans. It, it, it shocks me until, until I realize that you and I occasionally do the same thing, don't we? What do I mean? What I mean is, listen to me, you and I have an inheritance we have from the Lord. The the Bible is very clear about what our inheritance is. The verse will be up behind me there. But in Romans chapter 8, Paul the Apostle says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. That we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. Paul the Apostle says, we are heirs of God, and we are joint heirs with Christ. Do you know what it means that we're joint heirs with Christ? Joint heirs mean whatever Jesus gets Whatever Jesus' inheritance is, is also our inheritance. 
what what is Jesus' inheritance? Well, another verse from Hebrews chapter 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son who he has appointed heir of what? All things. Jesus is an inheritor of everything. Why is that good news? Because we're joint heirs with Jesus. You get everything. Now, you, most of you know me. I'm not a like, and you get a Ferrari and another Ferrari. And that, that's, that's not biblical theology. All I'm saying is we walk around this world sometimes, and we can, we can struggle with lack of contentment, can't we? You, know, you drive by those beach houses, come on. And you just see them, and you're like, Lord, if you let me win the lottery, I'd, I'd pay all the Calvary Vistas bills. And then I would buy this house. This house would be mine. Oh, oh, Lord, I would do such great things with that. (laughs) Hey, friends, you can just walk right up to those people and say, did you know my house is yours? They might arrest you, but you know, but you know, the reality is you and I are heir of all things. This entire world someday is ours. You don't need to struggle with contentment. Heaven is coming and God is going to take care of you. Amen. But, but it's more than just heaven. It's what you and I get right now. Number one, he says, we're inheritors of God himself. In his presence, his fullness of joy, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is what you get. But more than that, think about what we get because we walk in the Spirit. You know this from Galatians chapter 5. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul is telling the Galatians, if you walk with God, if you walk in the Spirit, these things are yours. These things are yours. What things? Love. Isn't that what we're longing for? or joy, or peace, or self-control, victory over these things of our flesh. Those things are ours in the intimacy of our relationship with Jesus. They're ours. And these are things we are willing to trade away for nothing. I mean, Jesus asked a very good question, didn't he? He said, what profit? Is it to a man if he gets the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give in exchange for your soul? A million dollars? I hope not. A hundred million dollars? That's a lot of money. That could get you that beach house. I hope not because we're talking about your soul. But I fear that some of us are willing to trade not our soul but we're willing to trade intimacy with Jesus. We're willing to trade the fruits of the Spirit and walking in victory for something far less than $100 million. We're willing to trade it for something that in reality is just a bowl of beans. It is. Oh, it's not. She's so pretty. She's so pretty. Bowl of beans bowl of beans oh i don't need to be at church and spend time with my family if i just get ahead a little bit more at work i'll have so much for them to inherit someday that's such a good goal that's a bowl of beans 
Oh, he's so handsome. Ladies, single ladies. He is literally a bowl of beans. Literally, he eats things and smelly things come out. Like he's literally a bowl of beans. No matter what it is that we long for, the house and the hills, the house and the beach, the country club membership, whatever it is, when you compare it with intimacy with Jesus, when you compare it with the fruit of the Spirit that God offers every single one of us, we are trading away what is essentially a bowl of beans for something that is one of the most precious things in all of the universe. So how can we avoid that today? How can we avoid it today? Well, if you're in Genesis 25, leave there and find Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament gives us kind of a commentary on the story that we're reading. I'm almost done, but just, just understand what the author to Hebrews says here about the story that we're, we're reading today. Hebrews chapter 12 Look at verse 14 there in Hebrews chapter 12. The author says this. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see God. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. He's talking about the Genesis story we just read today. For you know that afterwards when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. A lot of people don't like the book of Hebrews. And the reason they don't is it says things that are kind of hard to understand, like what I just read. What do you mean he, he wanted, he wanted the, the birthright and sought it with tears, but, but he couldn't repent? What does that mean? It, it doesn't mean that Esau couldn't repent, and it doesn't mean that you can't repent of your sin. What it means is that Esau had made so many decisions in his life, that was the road he was on. The, the, the author of Hebrews is combining the story in Genesis 25 and 27. He sells his birthright, and then he doesn't get the birthright in chapter 27, because that's what he decided, that's what God decided, and yet he's like, Dad, don't you have one more blessing? He's crying. He's not repenting. He's not saying, God, I want to go in a different direction. I want to be a spiritual man. He's just blubbering because all the decisions he made up to that point actually worked out the way God said it would in his life. But what the author is saying here in Hebrews is really important. It talks about Esau and it says that he was a man who was profane. And and that's nothing you and I want to be. But the, the Greek word there is so important. It's the Greek word bebelos. And this Greek word bebelos, what it means actually is outside the sanctuary. Outside the sanctuary. And what it, what it means in context is someone who is profane, someone who is outside the sanctuary has never taken time to build a sanctuary in their heart. 
They've never taken time to have a sanctuary in their heart from which God can minister to them and change them and work on them and do these things in their lives. It's one who has never taken time to do that. They are outside the sanctuary. There has never been a sanctuary built in their hearts. And this is something that is so important for every one of us because it is. The fact that Esau was Babylos, he was outside the sanctuary, never took the time to build a sanctuary in his heart. It is that that was the extreme difference between him and Jacob. Jacob is not a moral man for most of his life. He makes terribly sinful decisions, but he takes time to build a sanctuary in his heart from which God can call him to repentance, from which God can change him from the inside out. It was the difference between Jacob and Esau. It's what made David different. I mean, we love David, the greatest king Israel ever had, the sweet psalmist of Israel. But you that know your Bibles, you know David has some issues, serious issues. He's a compulsive liar. He's an adulterer. He's got a little bit of a lady problem. He's got nine wives and a stable of concubines. That's how I know he has a little bit of a lady problem. Don't worry, your son will be much worse, David. But you got a little bit of a lady problem. And he's a murderer. Uriah doesn't die in battle. He's killed in battle purposely. And we, we that know our Bibles know this go, doesn't God call him a man after his own heart? How can a guy with so many issues be a man after God's own heart? It's a great question. I think the answer is, number one, David was never an idolater. With all of his issues, with all of his problems, he forever knew there is one God in Israel and I will worship him and not these idols. He was never an idolater and... He was not profane. David had a sanctuary that he built in his heart. You read his sanctuary book in the Psalms where he cries out to God, even in times where he's not there. God, I'm not like this yet, but make me a man like this. Make me a man that's true. Make me a man that pursues you and you alone. We read he is a man who had an altar in his heart from which God could call him to repentance and God could change him day by day. And here's the good news, friends. You and I, like Jacob, like David, we can struggle. We can have issues in our life, but we must be men and we must be women that have an altar to God built in our lives that he can call us back to him from that he can change us from from the inside out and how do we build that altar we need to make sure that those spiritual disciplines in our lives have some attention amen I mean we all pray we all pray you pray before bed you pray with your kids you pray before you eat, I hope. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Like you, you pray. But do you have an altar of prayer in your life? Do you have a place that you can just meet with him and pour out your heart? God, this is what's happening in my family. This is what's happening in my marriage. This is what's happening in, in my work life. God, I just, 
I need you to change these things. We are so quick to reach out to family and friends. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you do realize that family and friends can rarely change anything. But you have a relationship with the God of the universe who can change hearts and change history. That's the God we serve. I hope you have an altar of prayer if you don't. This is a great week to say, God, I need to build an altar of prayer in my life. I know all of us have a relationship with the word of God. You're sitting here this morning in a Bible study. You know, you can go to other churches where they don't do stuff like that. You, you could, you, you're here listening to a Bible study. We all have a relationship with God in his word. And I hope you have an altar to God's word in your life. Where it's not just Sunday morning and occasionally Wednesday night. But a time where you open up this book, I hope every single day, and just let it speak into you. You know we live in a world that's constantly preaching sermons to us every single day. And our minds, even if we're not trying to look for it, the world is preaching sermons that are anti-God and anti-His heart. I need to every day open this book and have the truth wash over my heart. I need an altar to the Word of God. And if you don't have that, this is a great week to build that altar in your heart, to be determined to spend time with Him every single day. We all worship. We did so already, and we're going to do so again in just a couple of minutes. We all worship the Lord. But I pray for you that your worship life is more than a few songs before a Sunday morning sermon. I know for me and the church that I get to pastor and the church here, tremendous worship teams. It's never the worship team's fault. But I'm usually sitting in the service thinking about what I'm going to say, thinking, I better get rid of that. That's no good. And, 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 then, and then I'm trying to worship, trying to focus in, and, and then I'm like, squirrel. Like, I look over there. I, I. So often, oftentimes with me, the sanctuary worship, though it can be amazing, amazing, Sometimes for me, the best times is just when I'm driving in my car and a song comes on that just ministers to my heart. And I have to pull over because I'm like weeping and people are like, what's he on? <laughs> Jesus, and it's way better than what you're on. Oh, yeah. Th- th- this, this is what we need. We need an altar of prayer, an altar to his word, an altar to worship. We need a place from which God can meet with us and call us to repentance and say that attitude needs to change and that thing you're thinking about needs to go and this is what you need to do and can shape us and mold us into his image from the altar that doesn't exist at just 885 East Vista Way, but an altar that is situated in the depths of our heart. This is who we need to be. Not men and women like Esau who are profane, who are outside the sanctuary, but men and women that have taken time to build an altar in their hearts. You look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They dug wells and they built altars. When Isaac would come back to his father's Abraham's wells, the world would just fill it in with dirt, wouldn't he? And he'd have to dig that out again. And for some of you, you have a heritage you've been given by your parents, your grandparents, people praying for you, the the, the wells that have been dug. And the world is so good at just throwing dirt in those. Who's this guest speaker today? Spiritual disciplines. That sounds like legalism to me. I'll read my Bible when I want to. 
I'll worship when I feel like it. I'll pray when I'm going off a cliff. Listen, fool. This isn't legalism. Building an altar in your heart has nothing to do with your eternal salvation. We are saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and your simple accepting of that. Amen? This is not about this. This is about who wants to go through their Christian life profane. Who wants to live their Christian life outside of the sanctuary? I want an altar in my heart where I can be altered from, where I can be changed and enjoy everything that God offers me, the fruits of the Spirit, inheritor of all things, inheritor of even God himself in his presence. That's who I want to be. Isn't that who you want to be? Let's go before the Lord as the worship team comes up and we'll have communion together. Father, thank you so much for your word for us today. And God, I believe it's important for every one of us, no matter how long we've been walking with you or even if we're brand new. God, I want to pray first for those that that have come in this place today and they're not sure where they are in their relationship with you. God, I pray they would hear this truth that salvation is not based on them climbing a mountain or swimming an ocean. It's based on what you have already done for them. You told the Roman church that if they would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus, they would be saved. And I pray today if anyone in this place needs to be saved, they would just cry out to you, I believe in you. I want to be saved, and I know you're going to hear that prayer. But I realize the vast majority of us in the room, we've known you. We love you. And spending this service looking out on these precious friends of mine, I know so many of them have been walking with you for years and years and years. But sometimes, God, even in that maturity, we can neglect the altar of God in our hearts. We can let it, as it often did in Israel's history, fall into disrepair. And so I pray, Lord, we would dig out that well. We would build that altar again. Because, God, we don't want to be outside of the sanctuary. We want a sanctuary that is alive and well and powerful in the depths of our heart. And so, Father, would you do that today in each of our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You received the elements of communion as you were walking in, I'm assuming. I'm kind of new here today, I'm assuming. So I think it's great for us to take a moment, to take a moment and just be real with the Lord. Things that have fallen into disrepair in your life, with the altar of your life, man, now is a great time for repentance, isn't it? Now's a great time to say, God, I just confess this to you. And here's the great thing. As you partake of the bread and the cup, Jesus just washes all of that away. Amen? There is no sin he won't cleanse. And then let's be determined. As we sing, as we worship, I want to build that altar in my heart. Yes, for all the rewards, but also because you know storms come in this life too, huh? Boy, we need an altar to hold on to. We need a firm foundation. Amen? Let's worship the Lord together. Let's take communion together.
Let's let the Lord do work in our hearts before we go our way today. Let's sing.